Fatherhood is central to the story of God. And for our Good Friday service this past Easter season, we talked about the tale of two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil uh, in the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve were told that they shouldn't partake of that particular fruit, and they did anyway, thus disobeying God and causing sin to enter into the world. Then the other tree that we talked about was the cross of Jesus Christ. And Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is anyone who is hung upon a tree. Now, part of the fallen nature of the human race is our own family tree, which may have impacted us in significant ways. Certainly, both parents that we've had have had roles of this in our lives. But today and in this sermon series, we're speaking primarily about our Father's impact upon us. And it's important for us to be completely honest about this significant person in our lives, our own earthly fathers. Was your father a good father? Was he a godly father? Was he a loving and encouraging father? Was he an affirming and supportive father? Was your father a good man, an honest man, a hard-working man? Or did you primarily get to see the full view of his fallen, sinful, human nature? Did your father divorce your mom and leave the family when you were young? Did your father die young from a disease or an accident? Did your father break your heart and put you and your family through a childhood of broken promises? Did your father hurt you, rob you of your innocence, and treat you as if you didn't matter? Is your father even available to reconcile with on earth right now? Or was he long gone before you were born? Or worse yet, does he even know that you are alive? These are all painful, probing questions to answer. But let me say this very early on in our message today. We have a forgiving heavenly Father. See, once you become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you become part of a new family. And that means you have a new family tree. And our new family tree changes everything. You know, one of the amazing things about the coming, uh, about the coming that was predicted of the Messiah in the Old Testament was that he would restore relationships between their children and their parents. Meaning, in a big way, when people would yield their lives to God, when they would come to faith and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then he would do that work of restoring relationships between children and their fathers. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Well, 450 years go by. There's this period of silence 
from the end of the Old Testament Scriptures to the beginning of the New Testament Scriptures. And after this long period of silence, God speaks again, addressing this very same issue. And He tells a priest named Zechariah, whose wife Elizabeth was barren, and uh, speaking through the archangel Gabriel, when Zechariah was chosen to do the daily prayers and incense and sacrifices in the temple during his two weeks of annual service in Jerusalem, the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah and tells him that his wife is going to give birth to a son in the future. And we would come to know this son as John the Baptist. Of course, Zechariah doesn't believe that. He, he kind of scoffs at that notion, so God lets him lose his voice for the entire time of uh, gestation until this child is born. And then the family wants to name him, but dad can't speak. And in that culture, fathers had a big hand in naming their children. And so he writes it out a message on, on a board and John, and nobody in the family was named John. How can you name your child John when we don't have any Johns in the family? And then all of a sudden, Zechariah could speak and said his name will be John. Well, this son that he and his wife Elizabeth would have would have a significant role in the story of God. John was going to prepare the way for Jesus. And God speaks again in Luke 1, 16 and 17. And listen to what it says. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. To boil all this down, God was making a way for hearts to change and for healing to take place within families. Ultimately, God was making a way to bring healing between us and our heavenly Father. Now, as we've spoken about this in the past, Satan continues to drive a wedge between each one of us and God by using what has happened in our lives of origin with our own earthly fathers to get us to doubt God's love for us. Sadly, people can get all tangled up in their own earthly family tree and fail to see the primary tree in their lives, the cross of Calvary. Please understand it this way as our scripture reading revealed to us today in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus, it tells us, willingly took all of our sin upon himself on the cross. That means all of your parents' sins, all of your father's sins, and all of your sins, your and my iniquities, which is precisely what the prophet Isaiah said. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And when Jesus said on the cross, patera afes autois, Father, forgive them. The word afes is from the Greek word aphemi. It means to send away. The thing you need to understand about forgiveness, or as some like to pronounce it, forgiveness, what you need to understand about forgiveness is that it frees people up to become better people. It also means giving up the notion of having your offender solve your problems. And from a human perspective, people will spend their entire lives insisting 
that their mom or their dad or their ex-wife or their ex-husband or their boss or their former friend apologize for what they did wrong to them and then make everything right, make restitution. But the problem with this kind of expectation is that people spend the rest of their lives waiting for someone else to make them happy. How smart is it for people to lock themselves into a prison like this because of an inability to forgive? To not forgive is to literally hand over your emotional state to someone else. Beverly Flanagan says, what does the choice to forgive really mean? It means you no longer expect that the person who injured you owes you anything. It means you don't look back. No longer do you look back at why the injury happened. You now look at what you will do and who, will be in, who you will be in the future. Forgiveness, she says, brings closure. It closes a door to the past and allows you to start over. Jesus even taught us to pray this way in the Lord's Prayer. What did he say? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus is telling us in the Lord's Prayer that forgiveness cancels debts. It takes it right off the books. It erases it. It's not there anymore. Now, this doesn't mean that it's forgotten, just that we refuse to focus on it. We don't go around regurgitating this all the time, rehashing it, ruminating on it, insisting on some kind of repayment so that everybody, you know, this person can make things whole. We don't do that. Forgiveness is by its very biblical definition ascending away. Like Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them. Father, send their sins away so they can let go of the past and move into a new future. Desmond Tutu, the former South African leader who wrote a book in response to the horrific apartheid in South Africa, I mean, racism like you cannot believe, and his book was entitled No Future Without Forgiveness. The title says it all. Where there is no forgiveness, people remain trapped in the past being held hostage by webs of bitterness, resentment, and hatred. The strange thing is, people in these circumstances are their own kidnapper. They really haven't been kidnapped by someone else. They've kidnapped themselves and their family and friends who desperately want to help them get off from underneath this heavy burden and bondage that they're carrying around in life are helpless to do anything for them because they've kidnapped themselves. There's no ransom that anybody close to them can pay because there is none. Unforgiving people are preoccupied with what was instead of what might be. Remy Dietrich in his book Stuck says it this way, the analogy is like driving a car with an oversized rear view mirror which takes up your entire windshield basically, blocking your view of the road ahead. And all the person sees is what, where they've been, not where, where they're headed. And if that individual, he says, continues in this path, they will end up in a certain crash. Luke 23, 
Verse 34, patera afes, Father, forgive them. Send their sins away. I don't want them stuck in the past, Father. I want them to have a future. I want them to be part of a new family, a new family tree, the family of God. Isaiah 53, verse 5 said it best. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We have a forgiving heavenly Father who invites us to be part of his family. And this new family tree changes everything. You see, the cross of Christ is God's indisputable proof of his love. Jesus truly died for each one of us. And this is important for us to understand, especially if we've been let down in our life by our loved ones, uh, our parents specifically, or maybe our fathers. In 1 John 4, verse 10, it says, and this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And 1 John 4, 7, and 8 says, dear friends, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God, who is love in his very being, has proven his love toward us, to us, on the cross. And the result of this is that God understands everything we're going through. He understands our pain. He understands our suffering. And think about it. God the Father knows what it's like to watch His own Son suffer and die on the cross. So God is not indifferent to our human suffering. He's not indifferent to our human pain. God loves us, and He loves us with this sacrificial love. Pastor Louis Giglio has a teaching ministry where he travels all over the United States of America, and sometimes he travels uh, to foreign countries as well. And he calls these uh, tours that he does Passion Worship Tours. And usually at the conclusion of these rallies, he uh, has a question and answer time with those who attend. And generally the questions are kind of generic. How did you get called into the ministry? You know, how did you start up your ministry? Uh, how did you come up with this, this concept of passion worship tours? Or, or how do you keep your life balanced with uh, having a family and traveling so much? Or, or how do you stay active in a church when you're gone a lot? Uh, how do you stay committed to a local church? Well, this one particular night, he was absolutely stumped by a young girl's question. She said, I've experienced a murder in my family, and I don't know what to do. Can God help someone like me? What do you say in a time like that, especially when the question catches you completely off guard? It's way out of the norm. You've never experienced a question like that in decades of doing ministry. So Reverend Giglio paused. He gulped a few extra times, and then he expressed sincere sympathy. He said, I'm so sorry that you have had to experience this in your life. And he said, I can't fully understand what you're going through 
because I've never had a single person in my life ever lose their life like that, ever be murdered. And he said, then the Holy Spirit gave him the words to say. He said, but God knows what you're going through. Because God witnessed the murder of his own son on the cross. A plan that was carried out by people who were full of hate. You know, the Apostle Peter speaking in Jesus about Jesus in Acts 2.23, he said this, This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. The cross is truly God's measure of love for each one of us. Oh, how we have a forgiving heavenly Father. And with this in mind, it becomes extremely important for us to understand our earthly family tree. Because if God can bring something so beautiful out of the horrific violence and destruction of the cross, do you think that God can make something precious out of the chaos of your life and the chaos of my life? God can And He will bring about change in your life as you turn your life over to Him and follow Him. Change that will display God's honor. Change that will bring and show and display His love and His glory and show God's power. The prophet Joel said in Joel 2.25, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. God will do that. God can do that. So even the sin of an earthly father through his failure or through his foolishness or through his disinterest in us does not have to determine the rest of our lives. The prophet Isaiah said that God is in the business of giving beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He said that God is in the business of binding up the brokenhearted, bringing good news to the poor, and setting the captives free. And this is what God wants to do for you. And my questions for you today are, will you let Him? Will you receive Him? And will you then follow Him? We do not have to let our fate be determined by our family tree, our families of origin, or our earthly fathers. Jesus made a way for you and me to join a new family of forgiven sons and daughters. You know, five years ago, a man came to this church for the very first time. It was a Palm Sunday he sat right there in the next to the last row. You can't get the back rows in church because you've got to get there early to get the back rows. People take those right away because they want to sit there. But he got the next to the back row right over here in this section. And he had never been here before. I'd never seen the man before. But he was on the brink of losing his marriage because of his own stupidity, his own immoral decisions and philandering that he had made. And he came to church for the very first time in a desperate condition. And we had the opportunity at our prayer time, at the conclusion of our message, to receive Christ. He was one of six people that day who put his hand up. And as I looked out, I said, I don't even know who that guy is. You know, I've got to catch him before the service is over. But this man meant it. 
And it was life-changing. I met with him for a year and a half in a discipleship relationship until his employment called him elsewhere. And we still communicate regularly. In fact, he checked in with me numerous times this last year to see how I was doing health-wise since my surgery. Uh, but he had applied uh, in the last month or so at a, for a position and a mission in a, one of the major communities, uh, cities in central Wisconsin, and he asked if I would be a reference for him, and of course I said I would. And he just received, I just received a call 16 days ago uh, asking about this person. And I was as transparent as I could be without breaking any confidences. And the ministry was blessed by how the entire trajectory of this man's life had changed. And here is the text that the man sent back to me just late this last week now after he was given the position. He said, thank you, Pastor Darrell, for the awesome reference. The human resources director spoke highly of you and what you said about me. It has been a very humbling experience. Again, I thank you and pray for your continued improvement with your recent health concerns. In a nutshell, all I told this HR director is how God, a loving, forgiving, heavenly Father, changed this man's life. Where he was before and where he is today, five years later. And you know what? He can do the same thing in each and every one of our lives because God has made a way through His Son, Jesus, for you to be part of a new family, a family of forgiven sons and daughters. Would you pray with me, please? God, our Father, we thank You today for the good news of Jesus Christ, that as Jesus hung on the cross, He cried out, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Father, send away their sins so that they're not stuck in the past anymore, but God, that they have a future. We thank you, God, for this man five years ago in our church who has a new future now and doesn't live in the past. In fact, his life isn't destroyed because of his past. Now has a future in a new family, the family of God. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today or anybody listening online today that needs to receive you, needs to make that step and take that step of faith to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that they'll do it now. If anybody here present right now, if you are uh, making that decision with eyes closed and heads bowed, I ask you to just put your hand up. Be like this man that, that made that decision. Do it now. This is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. God bless you. Lord, we thank you so much for your love for us and for the hope and the future that we have in Christ Jesus. And we praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.